The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2018 New Year's Conference. More information about the New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. Well, welcome to welcome to Imaging God Through Gender. My name is Nermal Makala. And I'm Anne. We're married. We're married. Um, um. Apparently cheerworthy, you know, that um, we're married, but we're, we're glad we're married too, so thank you. There's a lot of people here. I don't know if it was announced that it was optional. <laughs> yeah. This but if is, you're already sitting down, you have to stay. Yeah, it would, be, it would be really rude for you to leave now, so we kind of hoodwinked you into come and listen about gender, but hopefully it'll be a worthwhile, worthwhile experience. Um, but yeah, so this is actually not the first time that Anne and I have shared the stage in the conference spotlight. Um, we were actually MCs together three years ago. With our friend Zach. There were yeah, three of us. Three of us were MCs together. Um, and yeah, that was, so we were both single at the time and we were both, we both really liked each other. But we, neither, and we, we didn't know that we liked each other. Yeah, so neither of us knew it. Very, very excited Spicy. to spend time. <laughs> Spicy. Yeah. Um, very excited. Uh, just really excited to be able to spend time together and prep. So it was a lot of like, a lot of hours of writing jokes. We wrote a song. We did choreography. This whole number. We went all out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, actually, so for our very first rally, we we came up with. Uh, I don't know if we had skits. We had jokes. We had we all had this stuff. We had yeah. a video, and we we tried to really make it a really fun, welcoming, exciting first rally. And we thought we did a great job. Like we, we were like, yeah, we kind of killed it. And um, so we walk off stage. Um, played some games that night. Next day, we were emceeing again in the morning, and we were having a conversation with our regional director. I mean, we're like a minute away from going on stage right. to our second emceeing rally. Yeah, and we're talking with our regional director, and he says, hey, just so you know, I was talking with um, some of the other regional directors last night, and one of them said, we were just kind of asking what their thoughts on the rally were, and he said that he thought you guys were a complete disaster. Um, not, there were some things you could have tweaked or, you know, here's some, some criticism. Here's some things that you could implement. Um, just a complete disaster. Complete disaster. (laughs) Um, so I never emceed again. I never got back up on stage. (laughs) So that was it. That was it. Um, but hopefully this won't be a complete disaster. We're looking to (laughs) redeem ourselves from that moment of, you know, someone telling you a complete disaster really has a way of making you think if it's really all worth it. Um, (laughs) But here we are, and we're trying to clear our name. After begging and pleading for three years, we're finally up Yeah, yeah, we're back on stage. Um, but in all seriousness, we're really excited to be sharing with you guys. Uh, this, this content has been really beneficial to us personally, as we've thought through, as I've thought through being a man, as Anne's thought through being a woman, as we've thought through our marriage. So this has been content that's really richly blessed us, and we hope that it will bless you. And we just feel honored to be able to share with so many of you, so many different regions come together, so that's an exciting thing. Yeah. Um, I think we were going to show a picture of our wedding. I oh, think yeah, we're supposed yeah. to do that in the intro. Yeah, so. This is us. Yeah, we've been married for, so, so three years ago, we emceed together. We liked each other. The next year, we were married. Yeah, it was <laughs> So things crazy moved year. pretty quickly. Crazy year. Um, so we've been married for two years, and then I've been on staff with Campus RH for about seven years, and Nirmal's been on staff for about three, four, three. Three. Yep. So we had to show that. Yeah. Um, so we just have a, a couple disclaimers before we start. Um, I feel like the Bible has a lot of things to say about gender. Um, it has a lot of things to say about marriage. It has a lot of things to say about sexuality. And um, 
there's so much that you could talk about. And so um, what we want to do today is just lay a foundation for you and kind of start at the very beginning. What does the, what's the foundation that the Bible lays when it talks about gender? Um, and I'm sure there's so many different questions that you could have that could come up in this talk that we won't have time to cover. But we, what we wanted to tell you is that this is, this is sort of a foundational talk. We're starting at the very beginning. And, you know, we're starting at step one. And you might have a question about step 25 um, that, that we really do think the Bible has answers for and God has answers for. But we won't be able to cover all those things today. But we want this to be a launching pad to start you thinking about these things. And you should write down if you have a question or if something comes up or if there's something that makes you mad or you disagree with, you should write it down. And I, I really do believe that God, we believe that God has answers in his word for the things that we think about. Um, when it comes to gender and sexuality and marriage and all of these things, um, we just might not have time to cover it all today. Um, and for those of you in this room that maybe feel like this is a talk that is difficult, you know, you might feel like, I don't, I have a lot of complicated feelings about gender, or I feel like I don't fit um, when you describe a woman or when you describe a man, I don't feel like I fit those things, or there's a lot of pain in my life associated with gender. We, we truly believe that God has open arms to you and that no matter where you're at in this discussion, that God loves you and he welcomes you into his family. And so um, this is a, an invitation to a dialogue. Um, it's not in any way meant to shut anyone down or to make you feel inferior, but this is, a, this is an invitation. Come learn what God has to say about these things that we think are really good the things that God has to say about gender are really good. But if there's pain in your life that's associated with these things, we, we really do believe that God has answers. Um, so we're starting at the foundation, but we want, we want to keep talking. Yeah, so we, we'd love if you guys came up and asked us questions afterwards. So we're going to start with reviewing a concept that DA actually talked about a little bit, the image of God. So that, that idea comes from Genesis 1, 26 through 27. So that's going to be pulled up on the screen, and I'll read that for us, and then we'll discuss what it means. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Yeah, and we think that when we, when we look at these verses, there's a few things that we want to unpack. So the first thing we want to talk about is what does it mean when it says image? When it says um, mankind is made in God's image, what is that talking about? So if you were to ask me, Anne, what is a tree? And I pulled up my phone, and I you know, did a search, and pulled up a picture of a tree. I would say, this is a tree. Now, is it actually a tree? audience participation. Is it actually a tree? No, no. The leaves aren't going to fall off of it. It's not going to produce fruit. I'm showing you a picture of a tree. I'm showing you an image of a tree. And so the purpose of an image, whether it be a photograph or a painting or a statue, things or that we diagram. call... Or this. Um, <clears throat> things that we call images. The purpose of an image is to show you what something's like. So when we say that we're made in the image of God... What that means is that humanity is supposed to show the world what God is like. Now, we aren't God. We're made in the image of God. And so there's something about humanity. There's something about who we are that shows the world what God is like. And one thing that's really important to note here is that this isn't just talking about men. It says, uh, let us make man in our image. But that's, that word is actually referring to mankind. It, could, it, it would be synonymous to say 
man, let us make mankind in our image. And we know this because the word them is used a few times in the verses. Let, um, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And then later on, male and female, he created them. So it's clear that God is talking about not just one individual man, but about mankind in general. And the word man is used to refer to mankind. So I just want to be fully explicitly clear that Men and women are both made in the image of God, and that's a clear teaching of this passage. One other thing I wanted to point out from Genesis 1 is, if you look at that last line there, that's from verse 31. God finishes creating everything, including humanity, and the passage says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God has a perspective on his creation. He has feelings towards his creation, and his perspective is that it's really good. It's really good that... I, I created mankind in this way, and I made mankind in my image. So we're going to talk about three implications of this passage and this teaching that we have in Genesis 1. The first is that men and women together show us what God is like. So if you want to pull up the next slide. So here I've got two images of a tree. They're both depicting the same thing, but they're two different images, and they're two different styles. And if I were to ask you the question, which of these images better represents the tree, that would be a very difficult question to answer, because you could, you could say which picture you liked more, but in reality, the picture on the left has some information that the picture on the right does not have. And similarly, the picture on the right displays the color and and aspects of the tree that aren't captured in the picture on the left. And in the same way, men and women both are made in the image of God and both show us what God is like, but in, in differing ways. So men and women together show us what God's like. Yep. And secondly, um, second implication is that because both genders are made in God's image, they have equal dignity, value, and worth. So when we say that humanity as Christians, this is a Christian teaching, when we say that humanity has value and worth, it's connected to the fact that we're created in the image of God. So it's not just, oh, I feel like I have worth or I think I have worth. We know that we have worth because we are created with a specific purpose, and that's to show the world God's image. So people of every creed and color and gender have innate dignity merely because they show us what God is like. We have dignity, we have worth, we have value because we are created in God's image. And what that means is that it does you know, men don't show more of God than women, and women don't show more of God than men. They're both together imaging something, and therefore their, their dignity, their value, their worth is, is equal. The third implication is that gender is a good part of God's created design. God looks at his creation and says it's very good, and that includes creating mankind in his image, male and female. Gender was not an accident. It was God's idea. It was his conscious choice, and he sees it as good. And what that means is that for each and every one of you in this room, your gender is a good thing. For the men in this room, it is a good thing that you're a man. It's not a neutral thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And for the women in this room, it's a good thing that you're a woman. It's not a neutral thing or a bad thing. And that may be a hard thing for some, some of you to hear. You may feel that, you may feel that it's not a good thing, that you um, have the gender that you do. But um, we, if that's the case, we, we want to talk to you about that. We don't have the, the space in this talk to fully explore that. But the Bible does have answers for that. And for now, we'll just suffice it to say that, that God did design um, two genders, and that was his intention. And that's mm -hmm. a good thing. Yep. 
Yep, and so we want to talk about two trends that we see. Maybe a way to word it would be two, two ends of the spectrum that we kind of want to avoid, and we see them both. And so one of, one of the ends of the spectrum would be um, eliminating gender and saying there's no difference between male and female. And, and this, is, this is a Christian um, belief. This is a Christian perspective. But as Christians, we would say we don't think that gender should be eliminated. We think that it's a good thing because God made it, and he said that it was good. And so we want to lean into that. We don't want to flatten gender and say there's no difference between men and women. But then on the other end of the spectrum, um, we see a tendency to kind of um, very extremely stereotype men and women and sort of make cultural um, cultural stereotypes and things that we've seen traditionally and link them with the Bible and say this is what God intended gender to be. So we really want to we really want to avoid flattening and eliminating gender, but we also want to really get it right. We don't want to just say, oh, this is what it means to be a man, this is what it means to be a woman. We want to say, what does the Bible say? And so as we're talking about these things, we're going to talk about similarities that we see between men and women. We're not just polar opposites. We're also going to talk about reasons why the distinctions between men and women are extremely important. And so we just want to let you know, as we're talking, these are two ends of the spectrum that we're trying to avoid. It's good. Men and women are different. God made them that way on purpose. But there might be ways that our culture has told us lies about what it means to be a man, man and what it means to be a woman. So we're going to talk about three things that men and women are too similar for. And we'll explain each of those as we go. So Men and women are too similar for stereotypes. While there are differences between men and women, the Bible does not endorse the radically polarized categories created by cultural stereotypes. I'm going to read a quote from Russell Moore, an influential leader in the church. On His title is the President of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I yeah. want that title. <laughs> Just yeah. Someday. Cool. Someday, yeah. yeah. Um, when I'm running for that office. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll read this quote to you guys. We can't rely on culturally conditioned stereotypes of what it means to be a man or a woman. Sometimes it's easy just to come in and say, here's what men are like, here's what women are like, in ways that are not so much reflected by scripture as by all of the cultural expectations that people have of what masculinity and femininity are about. In scripture, there are certain character characteristics of men and certain characteristics of women but those things are remarkably complex compared to cultural stereotypes. You don't have those very flat understandings of maleness and femaleness in Scripture. So, in other words, the Bible doesn't say that if you're a man, you have to play sports and ride four-wheelers and hunt and study engineering and live like a slob. Or that if you're a woman, you have to wear pink, paint your nails, and have a Pinterest. Um, and th those things, those things are, are great and, and, and fine and... Um, I think of uh, Alyssa. Yeah, Alyssa. She loves uh, pink. Yeah, she's a contingent staff on our <laughs> campus, and she's decked out in pink as we speak, and <laughs> that's great. That's that's awesome. But the Bible doesn't say that you have to you have to live like that, and it, it also doesn't say that if you're outside of those stereotypes, those cultural stereotypes, you're doing something wrong. So if you're a woman that has a really strong personality and you're really vocal and you're gifted in leadership, that doesn't mean that you're living outside the will of God. Yeah. I said, um, I said this um, in the breakout seminar that I just did with Eric, but if you look at the Enneagram, a lot of people are into that these days. Um, but if you look at it, my type is the type eight, um, which is, if you know anything about the Enneagram, you might go, ooh, um, because the type eight is a very extreme personality type. Um, 
and shares um, people that would fall into the eight category would be Donald Trump, Saddam Hussein. Um, it's just a list of really soft, nice people. Um, but um, but that's that's who that's that's my type. I'm a type eight. There's no getting around it. And um, it doesn't mean that there's not room for me to be a woman in the kingdom of God. That's how God made me. Um, hopefully potentially um, curbing some of the Saddam Hussein-like tendencies. <laughs> um, but I, I really do think that there's room for me in, in the kingdom of God. And um, one thing that I wanted to mention, just kind of an example of how we tend to stereotype things. I was on a date once, and not with normal, and um, the guy said to me on the date, he said, Anne, you're really funny for a girl. Last date. <laughs> yeah, that was the last date. It was over after that when we were done. Um, but he said to me, you're really funny for a girl. And he didn't say, Anne, you're really funny. He said, you're really funny for a girl. And I think what that means is that what, what he was expressing wasn't really a compliment. It was an observation, first of all. Um, but I think that what he was saying was, you don't fit into my category of what it means to be a woman. So I think what he was saying was, I don't have a category for a funny girl. And so I think he was trying to give me a compliment, but it was the last date. <laughs> Um, but, but all that to say, this is, a, this is a cultural stereotype that actually has no roots in the Bible and isn't something that, um, it's, it's not inherently female to be funny or not funny. Yeah, that, that aspect of Anne's personality certainly doesn't make her any less feminine, despite what certain stereotypes might say. The Bible also doesn't say that if you're a man living outside of the culturally um, cultural expectations and stereotypes. So if you uh, really enjoy being creative, if you really value deep relationships or experience deep emotion, or if you just like putting a little extra thought into your wardrobe, it, if, if, if that's you, you're not living outside the plan of God. That, you're living outside a cultural stereotype, and the Bible doesn't condemn that. So, and I, and I feel burdened about this because a, a lot of guys... Um, live as though to express any sort of emotion or, or weakness would be uh, an unmasculine and negative thing. But contrast that with scripture where we have King David is, first of all, a, a poet. And on top of that, he writes extremely emotional and, dare I say, dramatic um, poetry. And, and that's the example that we have in scripture of what a man's like. So we don't need to buy into the cultural stereotypes and we don't need to feel pressure to conform to them because what the Bible says about m masculinity and femininity is so much more complex and rich. And it actually, I, I was thinking about this yesterday when the other MCs uh, were up here. You guys were great. You're not a, not a complete disaster like we were, but um, <laughs> they, uh, there's a comment about um, Jake, Jake's jacket and that was, that was kind of a, there's a joke made about it. And that, that's, that's fine. I mean, I, I, love, I love teasing people and making jokes and whatnot. But in, in the back, I was... I was uh, he was the one that was clapping really yeah, I was, loud. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was celebrating that, um, that he, he put a little more thought into his wardrobe, even though it's outside of um, what some people would say it means to be masculine and, and a point of ridicule. It's, it's not something that's outside of... Um, what God has designed for men, and, and I, th I think that's cool. I think that's, that's great. So, um, and it did look pretty good. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was a cool jacket. quote. I need to get one. So, um. Um, so just, like, just like King David would say, or you look at King David and you say, okay, there's, um, there's ways that the cultural stereotypes we've created for, for man manliness, for being a man, he doesn't fall into all of those. He's a poet. He is very emotional. Um, there are also passages in the Bible that talk about um, 
women that talk about being a woman in a way that push against some of our traditional um, Western stereotypes of what it means to be a woman. So actually, if you read Proverbs 31, I love that passage um, because this woman, well, first of all, she's all over the place. She does so many things. Um, and there's things in there. It's like she's selling real estate. Cool. <laughs> um, she's, I mean, she's rising early. She's, she's a craftswoman. She makes things that are... Um, that are good and have quality to them, and she's selling them, and she, I mean, there's just so many different, if you, if you read through it, I would encourage you, man or woman, to read through Proverbs 31. There's so much room for all different kinds of women to fit into Proverbs 31, because um, she, she kind of defies stereotypes. There's a lot of things that she does that, um, that push against what we think about being a woman. So, as we see in Proverbs 31, as we see in the Psalms, and as Dr. Moore is saying in this quote, the categories that the Bible gives for gender are far more complex than our narrow cultural stereotypes. And what this means for us as Christians is that we need to cultivate an environment where biblical categories of gender are thriving. Someone who can't identify with what the world says masculinity or femininity is should feel welcome in the church because the church is defining those things in terms of the Bible and not in terms of the world. Yep. Um, so the next would be, we're too similar to be opposites. Um, and what we mean by that is when we go above and beyond the Bible, um, we, or that we do go above and beyond the Bible, when we take differences in men and women and conclude that therefore they are complete opposites. So when we say, this person is completely other than me, that we think that's actually going above and beyond the Bible. So I don't know if you've ever heard the term opposite sex. I'm sure you have. You know, this person is the opposite sex. Um, something that our parents, um, I think it was a book and a game, something that our parents um, read and a game that they played was called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but it's kind of painting this picture like, <laughs> women are from this planet and men are from this planet and good luck ever communicating. Um, and I think the book was to try to help you communicate with each other, but it's, it's painting this picture that we are so completely unlike each other. Um, and we actually believe that, that that mindset is unbiblical and it's dangerous. And the reason that we think that it's dangerous is is we believe that as we think about the implications of that, I am so unlike a man, or I'm, you know, I'm a man, I'm so unlike a woman, is that what it does? And, and the danger that it creates is that men and women viewing each other as opposites actually can tend to produce animosity, if that makes sense. So this person is completely unlike me, or I can't even relate to being a woman. I can't even relate to these things. And, and we actually think that... Um, that viewing each other that way is dangerous. So the danger of viewing men and women as polar opposites is that then the biggest threat and insult to your gender is to display characteristics that are like each other. Yeah, and as, as a man, I can relate to that, that, that there's a sense growing up that to be called girly or, or effeminate in some way was this inherently negative thing and I think that's a dangerous way to think because what that says is women are bad women are um, you wouldn't want to be that uh, given who you are and I think that's just a dangerous kind of weird way to think yeah so if, if if the worst case scenario for me is to be like the other gender that's gonna deeply affect the way I view the other gender so when we adopt this opposite sex mentality um, we basically create to be the other gender is an insult um, and what we want to say is that the opposite of being a woman is not being a man, and the opposite of being a man is not being a woman. The opposite of being a godly, mature woman is being an immature girl. 
if that makes sense. The opposite of being a woman is to be a girl, and the opposite of being a godly, mature man is to be a young man or to be an immature man, and that's the spectrum that we think we need to think about um, because the way that we grow as Christians and in our gender identity is not by becoming less like the other gender, but by becoming more like Christ. So I don't become more of a woman by becoming less of a man. I become more of a woman um, by becoming more like Christ as a woman, if that makes sense. And so if you think about scripture, the reality is most scripture is aimed at men and women and they're called to embody the same characteristics. So if you look at the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, I could go through the whole list. Those, that's a call on men and women. And if we're going to show a complete image of God, we want to, as our gender, as men and women, image Christ. And so I think realizing that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, realizing that so much of Scripture is written to both of us, um, our call is to grow up into godly men and women within our gender, not to view each other as opposites. The next thing that we're too similar for is inequality. Too similar for inequality. So the Bible doesn't say that men are better than women. And something that Anne and I have seen in the church and in, in Christianity at times is, is, there, is there can be a sense that men image God in a real way and women do it in kind of a second-hand way. So if we look at an image of a tree like we had before so some people view men as this like oh this is a clear image it's showing what God is like and then they view women like this like kind of a second best not as good image of what God's like and we don't believe that's true this is this is uh tamales okay this is like not this is not what um what God designed this is not what what the Bible's teaching so I just want to clearly say this is, this is misogyny when women are viewed as less than compared to men or not fully imaging God in the way that, that men do. It's not how God views women. It's not what God called very good in the garden. And it's not how Jesus treated women. So this is, this is, um, this is not tamales. This is tamales. Uh. And I think I have another image. This is, this is more like what... Um, what God is doing in creating mankind, male and female. Yeah, so those are kind of some of the ways that we see similarities between men and women. Um, we want to talk a, a little bit now about distinctions that we see. Um, so why would God create two genders? I think that's a really good question to think about. He created humanity. Why would he create women and men? Um, and people talk about that. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a question. It's a question to think about. And um, someone that's really influenced Myself and Nirmal and in campus in Minneapolis in general, we've talked about a lot of the things that he said, is a professor, actually. His name's Jim Cofield, um, and he's a counseling professor. And I think he has some really profound and insightful things to say about gender. And one of the things that he talks about is he asks the question, why would God make men and women? Why wouldn't he just create one gender? Um, and the thing that he talks about, which really really resonates with us is he says that God is a God of paradoxes. So there's things that exist in God that almost don't feel compatible. So you think about the fact God is merciful and God is just. How, does, how do those things fit together? God talks about himself a lot as an invitational God. Come to me. Come to me. But then there's all these passages that talk about I'm coming to you. I'm coming to get you. And how do those two things fit together? Um, 
You think about the fact that God talks about himself as knowable. He shows up, Emmanuel, God with us. But then there's so many mysterious things about God, things that don't make sense. And so how, how do you show the world that God is God, God is one, but within God there are so many um, parts of his character that almost feel contradictory, that feel like paradoxes. And Cofield's argument would be, I think that God made two genders because he's showing the world that two paradoxes can exist together, that two kind of unlike things but the same <laughs> things can exist together and show the world what God is like. And so um, we really think that's true. We think that God shows the paradoxes of his character into the same but different genders. So that's a pretty abstract definition of gender. That's not that's not the most con- concrete w- thing we could have said, um, and that's that's. But that is that's how we see gender, and and we, I would say that really understanding what it means to be um, a man and what it means to be a woman is the task of a lifetime. You have to know God really well. You need to know what the Bible says about Him and the different paradoxes of who He is, like Anne mentioned. And you need to know men and women really well. You need to know people well. And you need to know, okay, what makes men tick? What makes women tick? What, what do you, how do women behave? How do men behave? What, what, what are the differences here? And you, you then need to compare, you know, what, what aspects of, of men and women could reflect aspects of God. So it is, it is kind of an abstract and, and um, an abstract thing to think about. But over the course of your life, as you are an observant person and observe those things and walk with God and learn about him, I think it'll become more clear how all these things fit together. And it's really rung true for us in our personal experience, Mm -hmm. being married and in friendships and our families, to say, I think that men and women show different parts of who God is, and um, there's something different in who we are, and I think that that's getting at showing different parts of God's character. Mm Mm-hmm. So, with that said, we want to talk about one specific paradox of who God is that we believe is clearly um, demonstrated in in men and women and what men and women are called to. And that paradox is that God, and mentioned it, that God is a God who draws people to himself. He says, come to me, but he's also a God who initiates towards other people, and he says, I'm coming to get you. So, I'm going to talk about how men reflect God by showing God's initiative, his I'm coming to get you-ness, for lack of a better term. And um, Anne is going to talk about how women reflect God's invitational nature. Okay, so look with me on the screen at Exodus 3, verses 7 and 8. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So God's saying, I see your situation. I see what's going on. I see what's happening, and I'm coming. I'm going to enter the situation, and I'm going to make it better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to improve what's happening. Jesus talks the same way. In Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus did the same exact thing. He saw our need. He saw that we couldn't pay the debt that was required of us. He saw our helplessness. And he chose to come to earth. He chose to take on human flesh and live a life full of disappointment and pain and persecution and risk. And that, is, that shows a little bit of, of what men are meant to reflect 
just like Jesus didn't stand idly by when he saw our situation but entered it, men are meant to enter difficult, risky, challenging situations and initiate towards them, move into them in order to, to make them better. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of examples of this. I'll give a few really small ones because the way that we play this out often is in the, in the small things in life. So if you, if you see someone that is unfamiliar and you simply walk up to them and introduce yourself to them and say, hey, uh, uh, my name's so-and-so, um, that's showing a little bit of what God's like. It's, there's potential risk. It could be awkward. But if you're doing that for the sake of loving that person and benefiting that person, that shows what God's like. Or similarly, if you see a need on your campus, we need to be praying more or we need to be sharing the gospel more, and you, you gather people together and say, hey, let's make this happen. Let's go on Tuesday night. We're going to go share our faith. Or Wednesday morning, we're going to go pray. That's showing a little bit of what God's like. It, it's risky. It could go bad. People could say, no, I don't want to do that. People could not like you. But there's risk involved with that, and that's showing God's initiative to us. Or if you're in a group, someone has to volunteer for something difficult or unfamiliar, and you say, I'll do it even though I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'll learn how. Um, that's showing a little bit of what God does in our lives by initiating towards us. Yep. And then for women, a way that we reflect God is we reflect a God who displays who he is and then invites and draws people to himself. And I just want to note, this is not a weak or a passive thing. This is a ferocious and alluring invitation. When you think about the ways that God um, invites us, it isn't like a, uh, you know, it's, it's actually very passionate and a passionate invitation. And I think that women reflect God in that invitation. Another way to put it would be we reflect God in the desire to be seen and to draw people to ourselves in a way that, would sh that, that is showing the world what God is like. See me. I want you to see who I am and I want you to come. Um, that's a reflection of God. Um, and this might seem like a self-centered thing. Like, so I'm supposed to, I reflect God by my desire to be seen. Um, but I think in its purest form, it really is a beautiful and God-glorifying desire. So there's something in a woman that wants to be seen and they want um, to be known and for people to draw near to them in that. And that can look so many different ways. You know, it could be in a nurturing, I think about all of the moms running around here. They, um, they invite their children to be nurtured by them. It's a very beautiful thing. You see, um, you see their invitation. It could be in an intellectual way. I'm a type eight, I'm a debater. So I really wanna draw people into a good argument. <laughs> um, and I think that's invitational. I really wanna debate people. I wanna talk about ideas and I wanna, um, I want to kind of spar, intellectually spar with people. I think that's an invitation. Come, let's know each other. Let's think about what we, um, the way that we think. And, and, and that's an invitation. I think that um, a lot of times women's talks can be focused on this is a, you know, our invitation is based off of like looks and romantic desire, which I think women, a lot of women want to draw people in with the way that they look. And that's a beautiful thing. Not all women want that. There are women that want to draw people in romantically but not all women want that. And I think that a lot of times we can create such a narrow focus. Invitation means this. But I think that there's such a wide variety of the ways that women can invite. And I think that that's reflecting God. And there's a couple verses that I want to talk about that just show that in God's nature. Um, 
So God makes himself seen, and then he draws people to who he is. So um, John 12, 32, I think that's on the screen. Yep. So this is Jesus talking, and he says, And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all, all people to myself. And D.A. talked about it a little bit, but just the idea of Jesus being hum, hung up on a cross. He's suffering for his people. And what he's saying is, when I'm lifted up, when people see who I am, they will be drawn to me. And I think that there's something really beautiful in the heart of women that reflects that. I want to show you who I am, and I want that to draw you in. And I think that Jesus is like that. Um, in Psalm 27, um, the psalmist says that there's one thing that he wants, and he wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So he's saying, I want to see God. I want to see who he is, and that's going to draw me into his temple. That's going, to, that's going to cause me to move towards his temple. And I think that, again, that's this picture of you see God, you see who he is, and he invites you in. Um, lastly, Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus is saying, I want you to come to me. I want to draw you to myself. I'm inviting you to come to me. And not only do I want you to come to me, I want to show you who I am. I'm going to give you rest. So um, there's so many different ways, like I said, that this could look. This could be an architect who shows the world, this is, this is how I see the world, and I'm going to create beauty and art that draws you in. It could be a lawyer who says, I, you know, I'm a, maybe an immigration lawyer, and I'm fighting for the cause of this family, and I see, I see something here, and I'm inviting this whole courtroom into this situation to see this is, this is what I see and this is how we can fight for this family. It could be a single woman who says, I want to be seen for who I am and I want someone to move towards me and love me. I think that's a totally appropriate desire. And there's, again, there's so many different ways that it can flesh out, but I think that the stance of a woman's heart towards the world should be open arms, arms of invitation. And I think that that shows the world what God is like. So... In conclusion, to wrap all that up, the Bible says that men and women show us what God is like together. They're too similar for stereotypes, too similar to be opposites, and too similar to be viewed as unequal. Yep, but in the same way, they're different, like we said, in a very beautiful way that shows the paradoxes of God. There are things about the heart of a woman and things about the heart of a man that give you glimpses into God. That if, if the world, if every woman was wiped out of the world and it was just men left, there would be a huge part of God that we wouldn't understand, and vice versa. If all men somehow were removed from the earth and it was just women left, we would miss out on a big part of God. Um, and we think that together we're meant to show a complementary picture of what God is like. So we had a few discussion questions that you guys can um, talk about with the people around you, think about, reflect on, journal about, whatever. Um, and it's these, well, it's not exactly two questions, but two groups of questions, you could say. But <clears throat> the first is, what ways do you view men and women as different where you ought to see them as similar? Do you view the genders as opposites, unequal, or in heavily stereotyped ways? Um, and then the second group of questions is, how can you display God through your gender? Men, where can you initiate? And women, where can you invite? So um, in a second, we'll let you guys um, discuss those things. But before you do that, just know that uh, you, you, you will fail at these things. Um, the, the point of this talk is not that every man in this room would initiate towards every need they see for the rest of their lives and never screw up, or that, um, that vice versa, that women would, would constantly invite perfectly. Um, I get scared and fail to initiate all the time. 
Yeah, and there's times where I desire to be invitational and I'm closed off. Or even worse, <laughs> what feels worse, is in feeling like I am invitational and no one comes. Feeling like my arms are open to the world and no one sees me and no one wants me. And um, those things happen. And I think that, you know, when DA opened last night, he did such a beautiful job of laying out the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. Jesus hung on a tree for us. He took the, you know, the pile of sins that should be held against us, and they, were, they went on him. And we can talk about, this is God's design. This is the foundation. This is how God images himself through men and women. But if you don't have the gospel, if you don't have a God who loved you perfectly and came to get you, and invited you to himself. It just doesn't really make sense because otherwise this would be a talk of just try really hard. Try really hard to be an invitational woman. Try really hard to not have stereotypes. Try really hard to, you know, pursue and initiate. But the, if the foundation isn't the gospel, it doesn't make any sense because like Nirmal said, we are going to fail. And the point, the main point is not that you invite well. The main point is that God invited you. And the main point is not that you pursue well, but that God pursued you. So, Yeah, so um, with that, break, uh, breaking the groups around you, just uh, a couple people and discuss these questions. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach.